Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM SAM and software licensing professionals. Hello and welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. Uh, my name is David Foxen and I'll be your host for today. Um, I am joined by three esteemed ITAM guests. Um, first of all, we have Rachel Ryan. Hello, Rachel. Hi. We have Mr. Rory Canavan. Hello, Rory. Hi, Dave. Uh, and we also have some bloke called Martin Thompson, who's um, pretty new to the industry, but hopefully he'll have some um, interesting insights. Hello, Martin. Please be gentle with me. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys um, just want to give uh, a little introduction to um, how you're involved in ITAM and um, what you're currently doing. So uh, Rachel, let's start with you. Right, okay. So I currently work as a global software asset manager at AstraZeneca. Um, I've been working um, at AstraZeneca for just coming up to five years. Um, so really looking at the process and governance around software asset management, um, looking at reducing risk and cost optimization. Um, I've also uh, worked quite a bit within the ITAM industry, uh, speaking at several different conferences. Um, I'm on the governance board for the Gartner ITAM conference, which I've been doing that for four years now. So I have quite a keen interest uh, around asset management best practice. Excellent. Thank you, Rachel. And Rory, who sounds like he's in a hurricane. <laughs> I, I will be hitting um, um, Gene Air shortly. Um, hello, all. My name's Rory Canavan. I've been involved with Sam now for oh, getting on seven, eight years. Um, most recently, I, I founded my own um, little venture called Sam Charter. Um, I contribute regularly to um, ITAM Review by way of articles, um, and currently I'm consulting for a major bank um, looking to set up an ITAM framework to uh, manage their IT assets across the globe. Nice. And Martin? Hi, I'm Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review, and... Um... I'm an ITAM enthusiast. Ah, oh, so the ITAM review, that's where I know you from, Martin. Fair play. Um, okay, so first of all, um, I've got some questions. Um, so this podcast is going to be about where should ITAM sit within the organisation? So there's a lot of arguments that ITAM should be part of finance or IT or procurement, etc., etc. So it's kind of um, just a light-hearted but informative debate on where you guys think ITAMs should sit. So, as we know, ITAM covers a number of different business elements, but which ones would you consider are the most important to ITAM? So, would it be IT? Would it be finance? Would it be security? Would it be procurement, etc.? Um, it's just an open question to anyone, so uh, who wants to take the reins uh, and go with a first answer? Uh, well, I can um, take that first. I think it's quite close to my heart, um, at AstraZeneca for the uh, initial four years, um, it sat within procurement and we had um, our key stakeholders would be finance and also would be the IT division. Now, very recently, as in this year, within the last couple of months, we've just formed an ITAM COE, so a, a, a centre of excellence in um, a division called OCIO, which is Office of the CIO, which is a strategic group within AstraZeneca, which has been um, an IT organisation focused on transformation, change, business performance and continuous improvement. 
And the reason that we've decided to move from procurement into the IT division is that we felt that the, the main stakeholders of the software asset management and ICAM process sat within the IT division. They um, owned the processes for deployment, change, um, a lot of the budgets were held um, within the IT organisation for a lot of the software that we were managing. Um, so we felt that it would be best place to put it in there. Who made that call? And were procurement happy about losing it? Um, so I, I was working in procurement, so it was um, a decision that we came to collectively. Um, we as a SAM team made a recommendation um, to um, my manager and then um, the IT procurement um, leader then presented that back to the IT organisation as a recommendation that as part of the, the large IT reorg and transformation that it would be best place to move it into an ITAM centre of excellence. Um, I felt that hardware and software should be together within the same division and department because of the key dependencies yeah. and that it would be a better fit. Um, this is because you really need to have your key stakeholders and executive sponsorship for your programme to move forward. And we were sort of trying to get traction with our programme. I'd say from afar, it's not afar because we were, we were partnering, procurement was partnering, but it's a lot better once you're within that organisation and they have the division set in there with the objectives around SAM and asset management for it really to move forward to get real responsibility and accountability to put into the department it's a lot better with us being in there so when so you've had a lot more traction so, so when you say um stakeholders so more of the stakeholders are in it who who are what what's what who are the key people for you in terms of stakeholders so the key stakeholders would be um so we would have different divisions we could have um sort of an area looking at middleware um, and areas looking at enterprise software, um, areas looking after end-user computing. So all of those are the key stakeholders. Um, so we wanted to put together a um, sort of software sponsors. Um, we call them like software license champions. Um, so they would have responsibility for um, you know key vendors or product areas um, so those were our key stakeholders and then we would get um, executive sponsorship um, right up to our um, CIO um, within that division and just just out of interest um, do you what's your relationship with people like service delivery so are you responsible for the governance of ITAM or are you actually doing the doing are you for example for example are you are you um suggesting or are you deploying new things or or do other teams do that no other teams do that so part of service delivery um the way that it, we have a, a team um, which is that service design and introduction so when it goes from projects into a service and then is aligned a service manager we have embedded ourselves into that process so the process is there the project process 
is owned by IT and the service um, management and service design introduction process is owned by IT. So what I had to do was embed SAM into those processes. So working with those key stakeholders, finding the um, the parts in the process where software asset management could fit in. So it could be the very beginning of a project around what they were looking at, which um, you know software uh, they were looking at through the business analysts, and then moving right through to service design introduction when it was going back into the business as usual, making sure that all the license entitlements had been collected correctly and that they were passed over to the service managers so they knew the terms and conditions of the um, the license agreements and that they could maintain them moving forward. Um, so, so, what, now, so why, sorry to interrupt, but why, why are they motivated to do it for you? So if I'm in service delivery, that's not my role, it's your role. So why should I bother, I'm busy, why should I bother doing any of that? Who, what, what's the sort of, where's the motivation to do anything in the first place? Is it because I'm being told to do it or what? what how does that work? Well, You'll find it quite difficult if you go with the big stick approach around compliance. That's what I found initially in the sort of beginning of my career at AstraZeneca. Um, what we did was we went out and did what we call things like voice of the customer, which was very much around what they wanted from the process. You know, if they were having any problems from the process, but really, you know, what would help them in their day to day. So for instance, with service design and introduction, they were really looking to uh, make sure that they captured all their license entitlements and um, sort of the contract dates, the, the maintenance, um, the, the, the costings, because a key objective for them was they have the budget for support and maintenance. And what they want to do on a regular basis is to get value out of those agreements. And when they come to renegotiate those agreements at the end of the year, they want to be able to look for cost saving opportunities. So it was how we could help them in that space. So it's really finding the hook that you can get in with all the different, you know, divisions and people to find out, you know, how can we help you in your process? Yeah. So with the project process, it's very much around how could they could get a project through quicker. So if we could tell them at the beginning of the project, right, okay, well, we have this agreement for Oracle and we have these products included. If you go with this solution, then we've got license entitlements for you. And the other thing was as well, they needed to be able to budget early on. So we could help them budget at the beginning of the process. So it's looking for opportunities to help them. And also we can offer license specialists as well to work to help them with any key questions they've got in different solutions. Yeah. yeah what was the process like when you actually moved ITAM from finance to IT? I mean, was it a long process? Did it take a lot of work or was it pretty seamless? It was it was procurement to um to IT. Um the we were we saw the opportunity where there was an IT reorg coming along, so we made our proposition at that point. Now, would it took any longer if we were um, if there wasn't a reorg? Then I, I'm not sure, uh, but it, it just came at the right time, really. And the but a reorg takes a long time. The IT reorg, you know, it was like a six-month process. So we've only just really fallen into the IT organization 
round about September time. And it's a full ITAM team, so it's going to take time to form. Um, and, we, you know, we're just, um, you know, getting new people in at the moment. Um, and it is a truly global team. Um, I think that as long as you've got the right messages and it's the right thing to do, um, then, you know, I mean, it should, it should take, I'd say, between three to six months. So, um, wow. Rachel, if, if you don't mind me asking, and forgive me if this is intruding, um, but I think you, the listeners will be very keen to hear in terms of what resource you have and the size of your environment, because uh, that's a common question that we always get asked. How many people should be in our team and where do they sit and who do they report to? Okay. Well, the way that we're set up at the moment at this stage in the programme is that we have an ITAM lead. Uh, who is based in the US. We have um, a global software asset manager for enterprise and a global software asset manager for end user computing. Um, we are just um, building a big team in Chennai, um, AZ Chennai, which is all IT. Um, we've just um, employed a new person in Chennai um, who is a hardware asset management analyst. And then we will be adding to that team. We have um, a team in the US who are working on the asset management project. And um, I think there must be at least four people in that team at the moment. Um, and um, we'll be looking to sort of add to it moving forward. But I think the key thing is for us, as far as software asset management is concerned, that at the moment we, we have a... Um, a partner, an outsource partner, so we have um, a full resource team within our outsource partner who uh, looks at the software asset management side of things, like the effective license position, the service desk, the uh, you know audit planning and review. So you know we have a lot of resources there. Um, you know, if it was an internal team, then obviously the, we would have to have the same again. So you've got a, uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong, what you just said was um, you've got a global asset manager for enterprise and a global asset manager for, what, what did you call it? Um, end user computing. End user computing. So yeah, is that, so is that another way of putting that? Is that campus. Sorry? Uh, some people um, refer to it as that campus. It's for the client, um, the client, right. the desktop PC. Yeah. And whereas the other guy or lady is doing de uh, data center, is that another way of putting it? Yeah, yeah. that's right, yeah. And does that, if you got mobile in there as part of the campus, would you consider campus mobile as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Tablets and. We have, um, yeah, we have within our end user computing division, we have uh, people in charge of mobile, people looking at Apple, people looking at comms, people looking at client. Um, yeah. So there's a whole suite of people within our end user computing division. Yeah. I think it's interesting the way you split it like that because it's definitely where the market's going. Um, and the the ITAM lead, who does he or she report to? Is that the CIO or how does that work? So um, there's the office of the CIO, um, which is um, headed up uh, by a gentleman called Chris Day, and he reports into the CIO. Okay. So um, and then the ITAM lead will report into his manager. Um, so there's about, let me think, there's one, two, three, three levels. 
Cool. Okay. You've got a direct route to the uh, the CIO. Yeah, and the CIO is um, a, a real keen advocate of um, ITAM uh, and getting it right, and he's he's sponsored this um, you know this whole program and this division. That's excellent because I mean, in, from um, past experience, that's been one of the hardest things to get okay. is such a senior manager, sponsor, yeah. and advocate of ITAM. Yeah. So if you guys already have that, that's kind of half the battle already won. Yeah, and that will definitely change things moving forward for us. It's it's been a, a massive milestone uh, to get that this year. Is Rory still there? <laughs> yes, I'm still here. I, I I'm I'm very mindful of, of um, you know, hogging hogging the mic when when these kind of things kick off. So I was just being remarkably respectful of, of Rachel. <laughs> The, the heavy breathing stopped. I thought you'd killed over. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's what you get used to, I guess, on, on calls with me, Martin. You know, it's, uh, you know, whatever you can. Oh. Whatever you can <laughs> Not lower the tone, hey, guys. <laughs> what you do in your spare time is up to you. <laughs> but go on, Rory. Where do you think ITAM should sit within a, an organisation? Um, I, it's, it's an interesting question, and I, I, it's one I would say depends on what you want ITAM to deliver. Um, the, the more successful ITAM solutions I, I have seen um, tend to have, they actually tend to have their roots in procurement. So it's interesting to hear that um, in, in, in Rachel's scenario, she's actually moving from procurement to back to IT. Um, but to sort of caveat then uh, the whole idea that you've got a CIO who's saying who's being evangelical about IPAM means then that it's out there in AstraZeneca and it's going to be working for them. So to be honest, I don't I don't think it really matters where it sits in an organisation so long as you've got somebody at the head of, uh, um, of the organisation who says ITAM is important, therefore Absolutely. we will make it. Work. Yeah. Um, the, the, the procurement initiative comes through a lot. Of, of, of saving money, money through through contracts, you know, and and getting your contracts correct, and it's it's a, almost a shame that we haven't got Kylie Fowler on the call because I know that is absolutely her her view and perspective on on ITAM. It is the heartbeat of of ITAM. It is strategic vendor management. But then I've I've been over to um, you know conferences in the in the US, and you talk to some managers over there, and their, their primary driver is license compliance. They haven't they haven't gone beyond the the boundaries of of an ELP, if you like. So so their SAM initiatives sit very much in IT. But the the issue around that, of course, is that it satisfies a very short term goal. Um, but you know how, what what interest does license compliance have to the finance department or the marketing department? Um, uh, negligible, I would say. <laughs> They've kind of got mm. a real, uh, you know, a real sort of nerdy interest in the given title. They're really not that bothered about whether the company is over or under licensed in, in the first instance. So it's it's taking that ITAM message and making it, um, putting it in a business context, and then getting people to buy into that. And um, when you do that, the the what drops into place. The why we're doing it becomes and it becomes a non-IT driver. 
to add to that bit on the finance element, um, so um, we found that the the CFO um, did have um, a keen eye on software asset management, and this was down to um, unbudgeted costing. So uh, one of the key elements around software asset management is you know ensuring that you're compliant, uh, knowing uh, what you're spending and what's coming up, and when we'd had um you know any um unbudgeted costs coming out of any reviews that we'd done um you know this was a, a key thing for our cfo was to say right okay well you know that they have to then go and find the money uh but his key thing was right okay well i want to make sure that moving forward we don't have any unbudgeted costs because this is a big thing for finance um, and he didn't want to be going to, you know, our uh, chief operating officer and having to say that we've got unbudgeted costs. So um, we found that he was a, a massive key, key stakeholder. Mm. And it's, it's interesting too, uh, Rachel, that you mentioned that in um, part of the drivers for your, um, your, your latest ITAM initiative is to support projects. Um, if I was if I was a project manager or I was in another part of, of a business, <clears throat> for me to think, right, I've got to get my software and my licensing sorted, I'll go to procurement, that that is an alien thing. You wouldn't instinctively think, I'll go I'll go to the ITAM team in procurement because you may you may not make that link or distinction between IT and procurement in the first instance. So it's again we're kind kinda of coming back to that comms and, and delivery of message as to where ITAM sits and who can engage with them and when. Yeah, we had it built in all to like what they call their kit cards and things and, and all the different forms that they had to fill in. It was just a few lines just to mention, you know, if you need any advice around software licensing, please contact the, you know, the software license management team uh, for information on available licenses or license information because in think any help that they can get at the beginning of a project is, is welcome. Mm. Rory, you mentioned about um, it depends what an organisation wants from ITAM or defines ITAM as. Do you not think yeah. then if one organisation thinks it's software compliance, the other one thinks it's governance and process, that there needs to be uh, maybe a better explanation or understanding of what ITAM actually is if all these organisations are interpreting it differently? Because one organisation could say, yeah, we're doing ITAM successfully, we're managing our compliance, whereas another organisation may be saying, we're doing ITAM successfully because we've got the governance and processes in place. I mean, who's, you know, who's right but there? It's, it's a subjective call because at the end of the day, ITAM satisfies um, its own requirements, certain IT requirements, and certain business requirements as well. If it isn't doing that, then it's not working. But who's to say that what works for company A you know, will also work for company B, and I think I think you can get very, you can start treading on dangerous ground quite quite quickly because all of a sudden you're starting to cookie cutter what ITAM can actually be or what it should look like. We all we all know at the operational level that it should be addressing yeah. life cycle, and that's fine. You know, the nuts and bolts of that should be addressed. But then what you're doing when you're generating those reports and you're taking those reports and you're driving them through the organisation. That really is then at that point it, what suits us best. Um, yeah. So it's, I, I don't think it's, it, 
it's it's quite as simple as as, as pigeonholing it in in any one particular box to say that's good item, that's bad item. Item is so broad though, it covers so much that I guess some organisations kind of feel a bit overwhelmed by all the different elements and just decide to focus on we need to sort our compliancy, therefore ITAM is you know, software compliancy or we need to sort our processes out, therefore ITAM is process management. Well it's it's one of those things, I always start from the top and, and say what are the risks you're looking to address because you don't you know, if you're if you're going to non-IT elements of the business and you talk about risk around IT, it gives people a better handle on saying, well, our given risks are, you, you know, the IT falls over and we can't work. Well, does Sam have a uh, some sort of a shoehorn into there? You know, is is there something that we can do to leverage that? Um, project management and, and IT infrastructure, as as um, as Rachel hinted at as well. Um, there are all these elements that that Sam can have a role in that uh, a particular company can say that's really important to us. We need to address that, and compliancy then should should be one of the cogs in the wheels uh, or the, the, that actually sort of supports those those higher business functions. I mean, it can be you know something as simple as um, you know enhancing the end user experience. You know, it could be, you know, they want to get their software quicker and faster and therefore that's the business driver and then, you know, Sam can sweep in and say, right, okay, well, I can help you to do this by doing X, Y and Z, but I'll need A, B and C off you. Um, and I think that's that's how I approached it initially was that I could see that, you know, obviously you, you've got to try and move out of the IT ITAM methodology and try and put yourself into the business because you know we are there to service the business and once you do that and you start looking at it from like an end user's point of view or from your customer's point of view what they want from the process you'll get more traction and for us it was a case of you know they want to get their software quicker uh, they want to be able to you know leverage licenses that we've already got so we built all the processes behind it Piggybacky, uh, piggybacky—is <laughs> that the word? Yeah, on the um, on that um, sort of view, really. Uh, Victoria Barber at the um, Gartner conference um, does this thing called about coffee and cake, doesn't she? About going out to see different people in the business and learning what their motivations yeah. are. And yeah, absolutely. You're yeah. absolutely right. The the end user experience is not wouldn't perhaps be obvious thing to help with, but. By helping those people deliver that, then you're becoming friends with them, basically, aren't you? And therefore, they're much more likely to help you in return. And it's yeah. sort of win yeah. winning, well, winning friends and influencing people, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's it's if you think about your your, your IT scorecard that you'll have within a business and um, how IT is viewed from the rest of the business, the you know, if an end user can't get onto their PC or can't get their software quick enough, can't get the tools to do their job, then that is their whole perception of IT. So if you were to go and say, what do you think of our IT department? You know, never mind all the massive big infrastructure projects and everything else that's going on. They just think about their end user experience. So, you know, that can massively affect your scorecards and what, what the um, the business side of things thinks of IT. Um, so if you get, if you always keep in mind the end user and the end user experience, then I don't think you can go wrong. 
and we we did a um, salary survey um, and uh, it, we've done it a couple of times over the last few years and we compared the scores and I think I can't remember the exact dates but I can put it in the show notes but um, a few years ago we said where does ITAM report into and 40% said ITSM role and the rest said finance or something else and and that's in the last few years that's moved to 60% is now ITSM and I like to think that that's because the 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 role has gone from more of a back office compliance and um, um, after the fact um, role whereby you're counting licenses to actually being more progressive and proactive and supportive because that's the only way you're going to fight the fire hose of data otherwise you're always on the back foot aren't you yeah for definite I mean, procurement was a good place for us. And I think a lot of some people you do hear, don't you, a lot of the conferences that I've been to and some of the people presenting have said, you know, I was working as a sourcing manager or procurement manager and then somebody came to me to speak about SAM and then before I knew it, I was doing software asset management. That responsibility was given to me. Um, So I think that's happened in a lot of cases where people have been managing contracts or they've got audited and they've ended up, you know, doing software asset management. and I think that's why it sort of ends up in procurement a lot, maybe. Um, but then, you know, we are not procurement professionals. We have, a lot of us have had procurement experience um, just because of our, you know, past careers. Um, but we are, at the end of the day, IT professionals. Um, and it's, it's technical um, and you need those technical skills and those analytical skills, I think, uh, to be a software asset manager. You need to know, um, you know, the IT infrastructure. You need to, you know, really, you need to be ITIL trained in service management to understand the different processes. And um, so that's, again, as a, as a professional working in software asset management, uh, you will be better sit, sat within IT because your capabilities align with those role profiles and to progress in um, an IT software asset management or ITAM role, then you're going to have to build your asset management capabilities, your software asset management, your service management capabilities. And that's not something that you would really do in a procurement division. Uh, You'll be more looking to um, the sourcing type things. The good ones, obviously, you know, negotiation skills, um, software contracts, um, you know, are, are good skills uh, that complement a software asset manager or ITAM manager. Um, but I think the majority of skills are sat within um, the IT area. That brings me nicely on to my second question, which is if you were to start a new business, you know, you, you, you've been handed the responsibility, right? You need to define where all of these different elements go, what departments they're in, what areas they're in, where would you, from day one, put ITAM? Rory, do you want to go first? I know that I've just answered the last question, so I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm thinking oh, I'm taking over the conversation here again, <laughs> um, and, and, I'll, and I'll come in after you. Okay, then, all right, then, well, based, based on my experience to date, um, I would place it in procurement, but I would make sure there is, there is functional authority into IT. Um, just to pick up on um, um, uh, Rachel's last point there, um, your, your, the skills and attributes you need to be a SAM manager um, 
are more closely aligned to IT. I, again, I think it depends on the size and shape of your organization and what you want out of your ITAM. Um, if, you're, if you're looking for um, efficiencies, large-scale efficiencies from your ITAM solution, you're more likely to get that from a better negotiated contract than you are from um, overseeing your desktop estate. So um, if you can transfer those IT skills into the nuances of, of, a, of a negotiated contract, then I think you've possibly got the best of both worlds. Because if you, if you have a pure procurement stroke contract point of view of life, you could quite easily um, get hooked onto, well, we've, you know, we've slipped into a, into a better band and therefore we've saved money. But you haven't got a real appreciation of the, um, the multiplication factor of, of, of deployment or given scenarios um, for a contract that could knock your savings out of the park. So, so that would be my, um, my answer there, sit in procurement with a functional, uh, a functional line into IT. Right, so that's one vote for procurement. Martin, I'd be interested <laughs> to hear where you think um, ITAM should sit. Okay, so I, I've got a different view. So, um, and I want to take us out of out of IT for a second, just to explain how another industry does this. So, I've got a few friends in the building trade, and you have an architect who will design a house, and you know design the plans and decide, define the strategy. And the, the IT equivalent of that, hopefully, is the enterprise architect that's doing that. The In the building trade, you then have a couple of people called quantity uh, QSs or quantity surveyors, I think they're called. And their job is to say, um, price that job up um, competitively using all the component parts that I need to deliver the plans of the architect. So he'll, the quantity surveyor will take the plans and he'll go and get all the bricks and the pipes and everything we need in order to build that competitively. Uh, so that it's at the right price. So that's his first role. And then once the, the bid has gone through and they're building the house, the quantity surveyor's job is then to actually make sure that we make a profit on that on that build. And I think, so to answer, that's a very long-winded long -winded way of saying that I think it should be actually, should be a sidekick of the enterprise architect. And it should be actually looking at what are we building at the moment? What are we building in the future? What are we actually delivering? Is it profitable? Is it what the customer wants? And are we meeting our contractual obligations? Um, so it's it's also almost um, enterprise architects uh, companion. And typically, when I've spoken to organisations in the SAM space, the enterprise architect doesn't want to get involved with that. They don't get their hands that dirty in terms of the minutiae of the cost and the licences. But there needs to be somebody doing that. It's almost like a cost architect for IT. <laughs> Wow, that's a, that's a, a cracking answer, that one. And Rachel, we know, I'm guessing you're going to say IT. Yeah, so, um, and I, I am going to say IT, uh, but it, again, it falls into a similar line with what Martin's been saying. So um, it would be, for, for myself, a, a process and a, and a governance um, type department or division. So we would call it like a second line support. Um, so again, where we are now, which is our ITAM COE, which is a department to division who are, we're not there to do the doing, we're not the operational, but we are the governance and the process and the SMEs in this space. Um, so if I was to go into any organization, my first 
something that you know you would be looking at it, it's very much like spinning plates when you first go into an, an organization because there's all sorts of different things happening you know it could be that they've got some software renewals it could be that they're doing a review on one of the vendors and you've got you know key dates that you've got to hit but at the same time one thing that you should be looking at is what i would call stopping the bleeding so it was like right okay well if there are no processes in place um you know for deployment uh, for checking of licenses for knowing what contracts you've got compared to what's installed then those are the processes that we need to sort of put in initially so initially doing that process mapping and think okay which are the most urgent ones let's get some license checks in even if you don't know what is installed and you don't have the tools and things well at least put a check in place to say okay well you need to go and buy a license because you know you don't have that ELP but make sure that we buy the licenses and if you know that you've got the licenses making sure that people are not overbuying um, and that again people are not installing software and not using it and then you know um, renewing licenses for like 5,000 when they're only using a thousand or something um, so it's very much around the, the process and governance and stop the stop the bleeding really initially and I think that that has to be done from the IT space until you get your processes up and running get your tools or your outsourcer in place and then you can look at doing some of the great uh, cost savings and cost optimization um, stuff that you could do moving forward you know working with the um, the whole life cycle I, I think I personally think it should be in IT as well but I think that there does need to be a strong relationship with procurement and legal Absolutely. and security and stuff like I think while it should sit in IT it should also yeah it should kind of be the best friend for a whole host of other areas. It's hard. It's it's, it's yeah. tough. I, I, I honestly. Ultimately, though, I think going back to what we said earlier, it could sit anywhere as long as the person that has responsibility for it gets it and has the will and the motivation to get things done. You know, that's that's what it's all about, isn't it? Mm. Totally. We're going to have to. Yeah, we're going to have to now. You know, really keep a close relationship with our procurement team. Um, you know, work closely with them and with finance and with legal. All of these teams are really important. Yeah, see, the, the, the ITAM team or the ITAM professional kind of needs to be a, um, really good at schmoozing as well to get yeah. security and procurement and yeah. finance and legal and stuff on board and, you know, helpful for what the ITAM team needs. Because if, you know, if they go in there all guns are blazing, we need this, we need you to look at that, then. Yeah. Legal and stuff like that are going to be why you need yeah. to be a key influencer. I think that's a massive thing with um, being a SAM manager. It's not just about knowing the methodology and knowing the you know the technical licensing terms. It's being able to um, you know layer those onto business needs and, and talk in you know business yeah. corporate speak as we would say and not go in just talking technical terms because that you know they just don't get it and you know it's all about the who cares isn't it well you know why would I care about that well this is why you should care because I can help you in this area you know are you looking to save money on your software budget then yes <laughs> you know so it's it's all about um, finding you know who cares and what they care about yeah and making them care 
Uh, yes, influencing them, <laughs> influencing them to um, to care. Yeah. <laughs> so, so David and I were on an um, engagement recently, whereby they were the the company was looking for a, a Sam lead. And we were sort of just trying to describe what they were looking for, weren't we, David? And um, it's, it's almost it's fifty percent carrot and fifty percent stick. You know, you need to be able to have have you know you you need to be able to schmooze or or hustle or whatever the word is. Fifty percent of the time, you need to be you know slapping somebody's wrist for not doing something and and disregarding the process. But then the other fifty percent of the time, it's it's carrot, and you need to be able to help them and. You need to have the you need to have the confidence to pull off both of those at the same time, don't you? Yeah, I would go so far as to say as as more carrot than stick, to be honest. But yeah. that might just be my style. Um, but you know, I'm just going off past experiences where if you just go, um, you know, blowing the trumpet of compliance and going in with a big stick, you won't get far very fast, and it will be a long, long, long process wading through treacle. Yeah, yeah. I think you can be as technically gifted in well any discipline really. You can be as technically gifted as you need as you want, but at the end of the day, you still need those people skills to actually make something a success within business. Because mm. the, the techie guys, they just like no offense to any techies listening, but they don't end up having much communication with other areas of the business because they are primarily focused on technical language and technical skills. Where I think ITAM it needs that balance of technical and also the people skills to really enforce and highlight the importance of ITAM to the business mm. and to the users. Anybody facing the business, I mean, you need great technical ITAM SAM analysts in your team who are just absolutely brilliant at, at you know, looking at those technical licensing algorithms and being able to overlay them onto the data and the scripts and then, you know, they can then look at different terms and conditions and stuff and those are great people to have in your team and you absolutely need those. Um, but again, it's like any team, you have a mix of skills. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. So then that moves us even nicely, uh, Nicelyer? That's not even a word. That moves us nicely <laughs> on to my next point, which um, Rachel mentioned about senior management sponsorship earlier. So in an ideal world, who should be the ITAM representative or senior manager or champion for ITAM within an organization? Should it be the CIO? Should it be the CEO? Who, who should it be in the ideal world, ideal scenario? Shoot. I think you should have a sponsorship from your CIO, who then um, stresses the importance to his leadership team, and then they would appoint um, people accountable within their divisions. Uh, that's how it sort of works, I think, best. And then you would have um, a biannual update to your CIO and a, a steering group made up of um, a senior steering group made up of the um, key stakeholders um, but you need to have that you know at the end of the day they have to have it within their objectives or they need a steer from their you know CIO to say that this is important to us and this must happen. Rory? Um, again I, I refer to my previous answer it depends on the goals and objectives of the business but having gone with which is the preferable department to look after ITAM and I've given procurement 
I would say um, the CFO would be the preferred project, would be the preferred company sponsor for ITAM, if if I could wave that magic wand and make it happen. And Martin. So I think it depends on the maturity of the company. So I think you'll you'll go through three phases. So you you'll start with risk and um, compliance. Um, once you've got that, and then perhaps if you're at that stage, perhaps it should be with a CFO or procurement. Then you move on to efficiency and better use of IT uh, as, once you've nailed compliance. And then perhaps that should be an IT function. And then as you get even more mature, then you're looking at maybe putting it in the hands of a project team or the architect or somebody that's making decisions about where IT is going because um, they're going to need that ITAM data to be able to move quickly. So I think it depends on uh, on how mature you are as a company as well. I think it's um, it's really interesting how four different people all in the same industry have such varied opinions and ideas on ITAM in general. I think it's just it's fascinating to see different people's point of views and perspectives based on experiences and knowledge and stuff. It's I don't think you'd get that kind of variety in other sort of areas. Woo, ITAM! I mean, we... <laughs> We've had, like I said, we've had key sponsorship from my CFO and from the senior directors in quality and compliance as well. Um, so it, it really does depend on, um, you know, where where the pain is being felt at the time, um, and again, who you who you managed to influence, who you've managed to speak to, you know, what's happening in the rest of the company, you know, what programs are going on at the time. You know, we as a department have moved. Initially, I was in IT procurement, and then um, IT procurement had a um, direct line into the CIO, and then it moved to uh, IT procurement moved into the purchasing organisation, where we had a hard line into the um, chief procurement officer with a dotted line into the CIO and now we've moved out of procurement and into IT so it really does depend you know it, it, it's fast changing um, so you know your key influences can change and your you know key sponsors can change rapidly could I That's ask a question so great and interesting could I ask you a couple of questions about your outsourcing stuff you mentioned, Rachel? I don't know if, if, yeah. how much you'll be able to mention, but a um, couple of things, a couple of questions. So first one is you mentioned the fact that you've got um, you've got an outsourced partner that's helping you deliver your SAM goals. So I'd be interested to know what they're doing for you, um, what parts of SAM they're doing and, and whether that's working for you or not. And the second thing is just within, if as a company that ha uses outsources, uh, outsourcers, how that affects your management of SAM because obviously they're potentially doing things to your environment and your space that you need to oversee, don't you? Because it's ultimately the responsibility comes back to you. Yeah. So where do you want me to start? So what? What? So you've got your SAM team, and you mentioned the structure, and then you've got a, where does where's the, where does a SAM managed service provider fit within that? So our managed service provider, we work on um, three towers. Software license management service desk, uh, an effective license position, and an audit. Um, we call it like audit protection or audit tower. 
Um, so the audit tower, uh, obviously you need, when you're going through an audit, you've got different timelines and, and extra uh, information that needs to be pulled. Um, so that would be a case of having um, extra resources on board to, you know, help with different timelines um, and, you know, pulling together um, the, the information that's required for the different milestones in the, in the review. Um, so that would be that element of it. It could be something as simple as just a, a self-review that comes, you know, every 12 months from a from a vendor where, you know, certain scripts have got to be pulled, you know, or information once a year. And so they would coordinate um, with the, the business contacts to get that information presented back to the vendor in the format that they require. Um, so, you know, that can be a huge help. Um, as far as the effective license position again is concerned, that will be a case of providing, uh, making sure that we have the processes in place to provide the outsourcer with the, the license entitlements when they are uh, procured and contracts and all of those go over to the vendor, or the outsourcer, um, and then the data feeds um, to ensure we can measure consumption against those agreements and entitlements. So uh, once that goes over to them, that's up to them to then provide the effective license positions. And then we have the um, service desk, which is um, built into our processes and the back end of our tools, which is around um, when it, uh, and the client space, when a user requests um, uh, software, that they do the license check element. It goes through to them to check whether we have a license available for that particular software that they've requested. Um, if we do not, then the uh, outsourcer will then look at our effective license position and see if there is any comparable uh, products or versions that we could offer the user as a replace, you know, as, a, as an alternative. Um, or then we would then recommend um, purchase against the correct. Um, framework agreement and then they will work closely with our global reseller then to um, ensure that the end user then can go and procure the, um, the correct license. Um, so we can then show massive efficiencies in that space where we are um, getting the most value out of any license agreements or um, I won't say global agreements because I don't like that word, but any, um, you know, licenses that we've purchased for our um, user base and um, that have limitations obviously on them, um, but we make the most of those. Um, and then offer um, alternatives as well. So it's, and then it gives us an idea of which uh, licenses we're having to purchase. So then we can look at better ways of uh, perhaps doing software metering on certain products so we can make reuse of, of software and things. So um, it's the amalgamation of all of those and they also work with us closely around, you know, um, improving our processes uh, and areas that, you know, we could improve on as well. So they're almost taking away some of the heavy lifting really, aren't they? Yes, for definite. There's so much work that needs doing internally around the influencing and the process and the governance and getting all the, the right data feeds and um, getting the business to engage with us. Um, there's so much work to do on that space. Then, you know, the um, 
looking at the, the data and the tooling and everything um, that they can provide and the license specialists as well, it's, um, you know, it, it leaves us free to do um, the other work internally that needs doing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a classic when we go and when we go and speak to somebody, it's a, you know, once they've got over the sort of most basic license position and compliance stuff, the next sort of bottleneck is the software manager is just overwhelmed with inquiries. They can't even lift their head above the parapet because they're so swamped with all the day-to-day -day stuff. So you don't actually make any progress because you can't lift your head above the, the mess, you know? So yeah. it's great that you've got somebody doing a lot of that. Even, you know, if you think about it, if you just had, um, so if you had an outsource provider just providing you with lots of data, it's like, right, okay, well, we've got this data now. What, what do we do with it? And that's where your internal team comes in because, you know, the data is there for a reason for you to be able to make management decisions. So you would look and say, right, okay, well, we need to make some efficiencies in this space or we need to do some remedial action in this area or we need to change the process um, in, in this, you know, piece of information. So I think it just shows that you can't outsource everything because they can only provide you with the data. Once you've got that data, what do you do with it? Yeah. What do you do with that information? And oh. that's where your internal team comes in. Yeah. So you're you're doing the analysis bit, whereas your outsourcer is doing the administration, basically. I think, which is, I think is the right thing. It it, it should yeah. uh, too, far too many SAM people are just doing admin because there's no alternative, whereas they should be doing yeah. the analysis and the the strategy and the fine tuning because that's what the role's about. I think. I think once you've got that management information and then you've gone say right okay well we need to um put some process changes in here we need to put some accountability in here we need to you know change this um business area and you know what they're doing in the governance um and we need to you know make a plan and once you've done all of that then maybe moving forward then you could look at you know bringing in more um you know tooling and data in-house but you can't do it all at once it's just too much finally yeah. then is that I, I i personally feel quite strongly about this last question and i think my views may be different to you guys but is there an argument that ITAM should be considered a standalone area of a business and have its own department away from finance, away from IT? Should it be considered in the same, you know, the same breadth as finance? So there is a finance department, an ITAM department, an IT department. Um, I personally think that it should. I think that it's now important enough to be a standalone, uh, and also that there should be a senior ITAM manager like in the form of a CEO but purely based on ITAM on like the organization's board or whatever so that there is really senior direction and management for ITAM uh, what do you guys think you're probably gonna shoot me down this is um <laughs> I've tried to pitch this out on LinkedIn and Twitter and stuff before and just had a bit of a you're an idiot reaction so uh, let's see what you guys think I think well as it says you know ITAM starts with IT so um, it, it's part of the um, methodology of IT. I, I think it's an overarching one. I think, you know, it does go across all the different processes and the full life cycle. Um, but I think that 
uh, to, to sit it outside, I, I think you would be separating yourself. I think you need to be integrated, uh, you know, as a a team within a larger team. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with uh, I'd go with Rachel on that one definitely because um, you're you're there primarily to support a a SAM a SAM initiative. The SAM initiative supports IT and IT supports the business. I think if you if you spin ITAM out, you're you're overplaying the card. I mean, I don't short of working for Amazon, I don't see. I don't see ITAM being the, you know, the 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 major point or the, or the major thing that we can elevate to the to the boardroom. Um, you really have to have IT being, you know, the eyes and ears and and the heartbeat of an organisation before you think right. We need we need to subdivide IT up and have specialisms and and seniority at the at board level and. I don't think there are enough companies of that size or scale um, uh, or dependency on ITAM to warrant um, a dedicated individual at, at that at board level. Martin, come on, back me up. Uh, I think you've been a bit transparent in terms of your world domination plans, David. I think you need to, uh, <laughs> need to be a bit more stealth. Um, so you don't agree? No, I think... Um, Again, I'm being a bit, perhaps a bit futuristic here, but when when this industry evolves and we'll get, more, you know, compliance and uh, responding to audits is less of an issue and because people have better control, then I think ultimately it's it's all about business intelligence, about what have we got, what we're we using, how can we move and change quicker to respond to business requirements. So it's it's a supportive role. It's a business intelligence role really so uh, it's as, as the other guy said I think it's still within IT um, but hopefully with more importance and prominence uh, and taken more seriously just coming back on that again the the wider department that I'm currently in um, you know we are part of that space it's business intelligence business information business reporting business tooling um, it, it's all part of that um, office of the CIO, which is, you know, very much about business information. And I think what we have to remember is software asset management, um, when working, I mean, I'm going from my point of view within a corporation, um, you are a service to the rest of your IT colleagues in the business. You know, we should be looking at what um, efficiencies and cost avoidance and cost savings we can bring to the rest of the business. These are the type of reports we can provide you. This is the type of management information we can provide you that can help you in your department or division. Yeah. Um, and it's I think decision making. You know, when I look, yeah, yeah. When I look back to when I first did my, I mean, I, I've worked in IT industry for say 20 years, and. A lot of that was doing software licensing and software operations. And I went to do my SAM accreditations, gosh, must be, I don't know, say, seven years ago. And at that point, I thought software asset management was about cost avoidance and cost savings. And it was all this, oh, yeah, you can save 30%, you know, of your software spend. And I thought, oh, great, you know, I'm going to be like, 
getting all these pats on the back and I'm going to be uh, you know, saving all this money and you know um, and you lose sight of it because you do get caught in this cycle of um, reactive uh, compliance but you know we need to keep sight of what software asset management is about and it's about cost savings cost avoidance you know, getting proper return on investment from, from your software and efficiencies. And, and it's difficult when we've got all this reactive stuff that's happening, but that, that has got to be our main focus. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that when there's a C item O in a business, I'm going to email you all and say I told you so. so. <laughs> I would like, I'd like to see... Is that from your spaceship? <laughs> Yeah, that's when I'm. Um, that's when the ITAM review are doing an event on the moon, um, and we've got all these Martians trying to sort out their weird moon compliancy. But I'd like to try it in a in an organisation just to see what whether it would work or whether it wouldn't work having ITAM. I know it's got IT in the title, but if if it was a separate entity, and, and if there was a really senior manager ITAM professional, I think that'd be interesting to see then if ITAM could maybe progress quicker in organizations and have more of a an importance and a, and a standing but hey it, it seems like that's um, possibly not going to happen anytime soon well I think if you're you know joking aside I think if you're a heavily IT centric business you know so you're you know you're, if you're like a web-based business or um, or even you know finance company these days are heavily dependent on IT from end to end um, yeah. And you're thinking about acquiring companies. You're thinking about changing direction. You're thinking about doing new products. All of that's underpinned by IT. So there is a case that says you need somebody that's sharp on all the data and the, and the business reports and the you know the uh, as Rachel said the um, management reports that says we've got good control over what we have. We you know what we're using, what's possible, the art of the possible in the future. Um, to aid people make, to make those decisions. Whether that's an ITAM person or not, I don't know. I think that's more of a CIO, a savvy CIO. I think ITAM is expanding, though, and becoming more and more important to organisations, which is why I think it is going to be only a matter of time before it. It is a supportive role, but I think it will become a matter of time when there's mobile assets involved um, and stuff like that, that it will you know, start to become... Um, a standalone entity. I mean, ITAMs. We we're all ITAM geeks anyway. We know it's awesome. We know how important it is. So it's um it's about time that globally all organisations saw the value of ITAM and started taking it really seriously and implementing um an a senior ITAM manager. That's just my dream. One I day. At that point, yeah, you've got to be. You've got to got your organisation to a point where you can report massive savings and efficiencies on a regular basis, and that's when, um, lacking anything, it will really, you know, get traction. Um, when you can say that, you know, we've saved the organisation so many million pounds a year, then people are going to go, hey, I think this was it's a pretty good idea. Yeah. And those savings don't have to be off existing spend. It's not all about cutting to the bone. It's about actually helping the business dodge a bullet in terms of new stuff they're building and new stuff they're deploying. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the cost avoidance side of things. But again, that's another conversation as to what's recognised, isn't it, from finance and things. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, th I think, Dave, as well, you're, all, you're always going to be on the back foot with regards to getting that, that sort of lofty CI Tamo position going because bearing in mind some of the conversation that we've had previously, we've talked about you know, the placement of, of ITAM and, yeah. and how you do that and the communication. And, and the position we adopt automatically is you need this because and we're supporting you. We are in a supporting role to whatever initiatives you've got going on in your respective departments in the business. Therefore, to, to have ITAM sort of spring up as a, as a unique entity in its own right that you know, is needed and therefore everybody goes, oh God, yes, there it is. Um, I, I, I just don't see it in, in the near future. I just don't see it. Ah, oh, you said in the near future, but in the far future. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I was hedging my bets. Okay, I, let me just say that I don't see it. Yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll draw a line in the sand and I'd say I don't see it. So the day the day the CI Tamo role comes along, Dave, I will buy you that point of view. Yeah, there you go. Um, that wraps up all of my questions that I had. Does anyone have any other points that they'd like to make? Could I do a shameless plug for our events in New York? No. Yeah, of course. <laughs> go on. Go on. <laughs> We're going to New York, what? Yeah, go on. So uh, for anyone um, on the call, on the on the uh, podcast today, in, based in the US, especially if you're on the East Coast, we're coming to New York in late January. So we have a SAM workshop on the 27th of January, which is, I think, is nearly full or will be by the time you hear, hear this, but if there might be some spaces left. That's on Tuesday the 27th in New York. Um, and then on Wednesday the 28th, we're bringing our Tools Day um, to New York so we've got a showcase of all the leading SAM tools and an opportunity to network with your SAM peers and then on Thursday the 29th of January we've, we're repeating our Oracle seminar that we held in London in November so that's a end user only event around Oracle licensing and um, defending Oracle audits very very useful event that we held in November and that's coming to New York as well so if any of those are of interest, please have a look at the ITAM review at itsmanagement.net. And nobody needs the www dot. No, no. <laughs> and, I think it is worth. I think it's worth mentioning the fact that the ITAM Tools Day in London ended up being standing room only, and we really didn't have much. Well, I think the the Oracle one was a sellout as well. So if people want to go, they need to kind of book ASAP rather than leaving it a few days beforehand. It did get busy very quickly. I just have to ask, guys, is that one of your free events? Yep. Well, the yeah, SAM workshop is. you have to pay for, but the Oracle seminar and the Tools Day are free. Okay. Oh, you guys both attended our ITAM workshop thing. You can do a little plug for us. Yeah, I mean, I did the ITAM Tools Day, which was very interesting. Yeah, as, as did I. I, I, uh, I weighed the floor. Uh, yes, I, I went along. Would you recommend going again? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's really good to sort of find out uh, what's out there, um, you know, what different uh, tools that providers can offer compared to each other. Because it, it is a minefield for people who are, you know, starting their journey on looking at um, tools evaluation. Um, 
you know, by coming to the ITAM review, they can look at, you know, some of the reports that you provide, some of the reviews, white papers, and then, you know, actually getting to come and see a lot of the providers there talking through their tools and different features and how they can help the business as well. I think it's, it's a good idea. Thank you very much for listening to our ITAM review podcast on where ITAM should sit within the business. Um, thank you to our guest, Mr. Rory Canavan. Thank you very much for asking. Cheers. Thank you very much to Rachel Ryan. Yes, thank you very much. It's been great having such a varied conversation. It's been excellent. Thank you very much. And Martin Thompson, thank you uh, for giving us your insight as well. Thank you, Martin. Cheers, David. So make sure you subscribe to the ITAM Review um, podcast on iTunes and also on SoundCloud. And until next time, have a very Merry Christmas and uh, see you later. Everyone say bye-bye. Yeah, Merry, Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.